Good evening, church. Great to be here again. Good to see all of you out this evening. If you'd like to turn to our text this evening, it's in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, the fifth chapter, <clears throat> verses 13 through 16. The theme of our message this evening is letting your light shine. I know all of us like light. I know a couple weeks ago <clears throat> we were able to move our clocks ahead. And I know everybody that I talked to personally said, oh, I like that. I like having more daylight. Uh, it's great having more light uh, each day to be able to do things in the evening or whatnot. I haven't talked to anybody who has said, no, I don't like more light at night or more light in the time that we're up during the day. You know, I, I think the devil likes less light, but we as Christians, we ought to like light and more light. <clears throat> this evening, let's see how we can be Christians and letting our light shine and not be an embarrassment to God and not let our light shine. It says here in Matthew five thirteen through 16, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has become tasteless, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor does anyone light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lamp, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light shine before men in such a way that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Again, we don't light a light and hide it. We don't want to put it under a bushel basket and knock its light down so it can't be seen and shine and do its purpose. You know, we need light. We need light to be able to have vision and to be able to see. And it is a very important uh, part of life. So letting our light shine is our theme tonight of what we want to look at. Now, this statement, letting your light shine, uh, should cause us to lift our heads and make us realize once more what a remarkable and glorious thing it is to be a Christian. It says here that we're the salt of the earth, and it also says we're the light of the world. People need light, as we just discussed. or We'd be in darkness without it. We wouldn't be able to see. We'd be falling down and uh, having a hard time. The Apostle Paul said in Ephesians 5, verse 8, For you were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. We used to walk in the darkness. We used to be dark, but not now. We're light in the Lord. We're light because of what He has done for us. And we need to walk as those children of light. You know, we have not only received light, we have been made light. We've become transmitters of light. Isn't that cool? You are the light of the world. Our light is to be seen by men. A Christian should be just as much a Christian in his place of employment, Maybe in the classroom if he's in school, 
or if he's in the grocery store, or if he's out on the golf course, or sitting here in the assembling of the saints, we should be letting our light shine. Jesus didn't just say, you're the light of the church. You're the light of when we're here assembled together. But he said, you are the light of the world. We're to go out into the world, into the darkness, and to make it shine. And let good things shine. And Christianity and the good morals and values and standards that God wants us to shine in the world. We live in a world and our Christianity should be evident to everybody. They ought to be able to say, hey, that person's different. That person's a Christian. Our deeds ought to draw attention not to ourselves, but to God. It says there in our text that they may glorify your Father who is in heaven. This saying of Jesus is a total prohibition of what someone has called theatrical goodness. What do you mean, Dave? Trying to trick us? No. Sometimes, instead of letting our light shine, men prefer to shine their lights in the face of other people, forcing them to look at them. Instead of behaving like a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a special people, 1 Peter 2.9, some Christians revel in the idea of standing out in the crowd. They're saying, look at me. Maybe they're saying, look at me, I'm the model Christian. Well, that's kind of like what the Pharisees said. Our Lord does not want us to sound a trumpet as the hypocrites did in, in the synagogues or standing out on the street so that men could honor them and say, look how holy they are, look how righteous they are. See, we don't want theatrical goodness we don't want to draw that type of attention to ourselves. Such activities do not cause men to glorify our Father who is in heaven. They serve only as an embarrassment to our heavenly Father. He doesn't want us to be out there and to be a mockery and people to look bad at us. So we need to have this balance. We need to understand this. So if we or to be the light of the world, well then, how can we glorify our Heavenly Father? Well, first off, we can do that with our clothing. God commands us to wear modest apparel, according to 1 Timothy 2, 9-10. through It says there, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves with proper clothing, modestly and discreetly, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly garments, but rather by means of good works, as is proper for women making a claim to godliness. You see, God is not commanding us to dress like pilgrims, getting off of the Mayflower in the 14th or 15th century. He's also not calling us to dress like the Amish people in Amish country. Um, I forget where we were at the other day. Laura and I were someplace, and uh, somebody said, oh, look, there's Amish people. You know, the way that they dress and everything, what happens? They're calling attention to themselves. They're saying, look at me. Does, does God want us to do that? 
Again, we need to be modest in the way that we dress. We don't want to be standing out in society in, in that way. Well, are we supposed to, how are we supposed to wear? What are we supposed to do then? Well, the Bible tells us some things. Lydia was a seller of purple, according to Acts 16, verse 14. The purple was a dye derived from purple shellfish. Such dye was very expensive. So Lydia was evidently a woman of well means and one who dressed nice. She wasn't condemned for selling purple or making nice clothes and wearing them. But they must have been a nice outfit or nice clothing that she had, but didn't make men lust after her or other women. There was something different about them. The virtuous woman in Proverbs 31 was adorned, it says, in fine linen and purple. It says in Proverbs 31, 21 and 22 this, She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all of her household are dressed with scarlet. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. So here this woman, the virtuous woman that the women are supposed to liken themselves to, she wore scarlet, she wore fine linen, she wore purple, she looked nice, but there must have been a modest way that she wore those things that were um, nice instead of maybe um, in some sexual manner or attractive way in that way. You see, you do not have to dress like a person getting right off of the Mayflower to please God. But everyone wanting to please God should look respectable and modest in their attire. When God's family gathers together to worship around his table, we should wear our Sunday best. You know, not our play clothes and not our clothes that we're wearing like when we're going to the beach. Outwardly, each of us should be clean and respectable and modest, not drawing attention to ourselves in some sinful way to have others lust or desire us, but rather in a quiet, holy manner that brings honor to God, our Heavenly Father. Well, we can let our light shine also, and we should, in our language. God condemns a potty mouth. Ephesians 5.4, Paul there talking, he says, No filthiness or coarse jesting or silly talking we should be involved in. Now, he's not banning all humor. We all like to laugh and maybe say something funny or whatever. But filthiness of moral character leads in inevitably to filthiness of conversation. Coarse jesting and vulgar, lewd, joking language. Maybe even to the point where we would take the Lord's name in vain and swear and, and again say things that Christians shouldn't be doing. How is that bringing honor and glory to God? If we're to be the light of the world and we're using that type of speech. A smutty story and the empty nonsense that sense that passes and some conversations is forbidden in the word. How can we let our light shine 
and embarrass God if we have a nasty potty mouth. Christ, he used humor in his teaching in the scriptures. In Matthew 23, 23 through 26, he talks about blind guides. And he says there, uh, who strain on a gnat. Well, what, what does that mean, they strained on a gnat? Well, they didn't want to drink a gnat or a bug or anything that may have gotten into their, their grape juice that was on the table there. So what did they do? They got some kind of little filter, like a piece of cloth. They'd have their cup there. They'd lay that over there, and they would get their juice, and they would drink it, and it would be like a filter, and you'd have to pour it slow. And these people would do this. Why? Because they wanted to catch any little bug or anything. They can't eat that. They can't drink that. How terrible. What if a little spider goes down your throat or a little gnat? Right? But over here, I'll eat a camel. Funny, huh? Over here, I'm going to strain out the gnat. You didn't think I was going to do that, did you, Melissa? Over here, that's the image. That's what they wore. They were huge camels. Over here, I'm going to strain out this little thing, but over here, I'm going to swallow a, a whole camel. Crazy. See, the image here is a forcible one that some people are, uh, are very conscientious over very small matters, but they're very careless when it comes to great ones. Very conscientious about this little small nitpicky thing. But over here, this big old thing they're doing don't mean anything. <laughs> See where Jesus is being funny here? Humor, they say, is the best medicine and can help reduce stress and pain. But if it's not used properly, it can do damage. It can hurt. Therefore, be careful how you use it. Never use filth, filthy, coarse jesting or silly talk. But put your light out there. That's what you're supposed to do. Use good speech that praises and honors God. Things that are righteous and true and holy and pure. We need to let our lights shine with our prayers. God commands us to pray. Give thanks for your daily bread, Matthew 6, 11. He does not expect us to put our piety on display, though. Well, how, Dave? What about like in a public restaurant? You ever see somebody get into a restaurant and they talk, start to talk real loud when they pray and it's kind of embarrassing and you're like, why are they doing that? I'm not saying not to pray over that meal and give thanks. My wife and I always do, but I always try to talk soft, talk soft. And I try to talk to God and with my wife whenever we pray and when we're in a restaurant. And I try not to have real long and lengthy prayers and pray about the things that we pray throughout the day at various times. Okay. So there's a way to be able to do it where you're not just saying, oh, look at me, I'm religious. Oh, look at me, I'm the preacher over there at the Minerville Church. No, don't, don't do that. That's not the right thing to be doing. 
You see, some turn their prayers, again, into a display. Sounds like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Matthew 6, 5 and 6 says, When you pray, you are not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so that they may be seen by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you... When you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray. To your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. You see, when you're going to have a long prayer, and you're going to get the prayer list out, and you're going to pray for a lot of people, praying maybe about your own concerns or needs or, or whatnot, Okay, go off where people aren't going to hear you, where you're not going to have your thoughts interrupted and pray to God in that place. Don't pray where you can be seen by men. So what? We've already prayed a couple times today, Dave. Here. Is that wrong? No, because we're here worshiping God. Public prayer is okay for us to be able to pray in, in that way to communicate to God. We need to let our light shine with our money. God commanded us to be good stewards of our resources. Different passages teach that. 1 Peter 4.10, Titus 1.7. You see, he did not command that we live like monks, that we have to be poor or anything in that nature. A uh, few passages where the preacher's talking back in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says this, that there's nothing wrong with enjoying life. Ecclesiastes 2, 24. There is nothing better for a man than to eat and to drink and tell himself that his labor is good. This also I have seen that it is from the hand of God. You know, so you're out working and everything. And if you're giving your tithes and your offerings and you're trying to help people and do stuff... Why can't you buy some nice things for yourself or to have some money? That's what he's saying. Because when you do that, then you're going to enjoy working. You're going to work hard and uh, do things honestly with your hands so that you can help others, so that you can help yourself and to be able to live a decent life. Ecclesiastes 11.9 says this, Rejoice, young man, during your childhood and let your heart be pleasant during the days of young manhood. Follow the impulse of your heart and the desires of your eyes. But then he says this. You know that God will bring you to judgment for all these things. So you can go out and do those things, but then, you know, be careful. Don't be out there sinning and doing bad because you're going to be judged. We're all going to be judged. Whatever good things or bad things we say, whatever different activities we're involved in in life. Well, how can we let our light shine with music? I like listening to guitar music, electric guitar music, loud music when I was a kid. And um, I used to get in my room and play that. And my mom would beat on my door, turn that garbage down. You're going to go to hell. What's wrong with you? And I'm like, mom, there's nothing wrong with it. I like the sound of it. And really, a positive, upbeating song. There wasn't anything devil-worshipping about it or anything in that nature. 
But to my mom, it was just those guitars and the drums or whatever. She didn't like it. But now Jesus tells us this. Jesus warns us to be careful. So take care how you listen. We need to take care how we listen and what things are going into our ears. Luke 8.18. He doesn't command that we all become tone deaf or that we go out and all of us burn our stereos or rip them out of our cars or anything in that nature. He's not saying that. But parents... You see, sometimes we fight losing battles with our children over music because maybe the volume or the beat of the music is not what we like. But that is inconsequential. See, what really matters is what is the message of the music? What do those people look like? What are they trying to to put out there in the music? Is it sinful? Is it negative? Is it bad? Okay, if it is, get rid of it. It's not good. Don't put it into your head and your mind and in your heart. But if something can be positive and good and it lifts you up and motivates you or helps you in some way, go ahead and do it. I remember when we were watching the Winter Olympics, these guys were talking all the time. You'd see the skaters and they were doing these half pikes and all this stuff and they all had their music on. I guess they had their little songs that they liked And they'd go out and they'd perform. And I don't know if the music kind of was like ice skaters and it helped them to know when they were going to turn or do something or when they should be doing that. And uh, these guys that were commentating, I don't know if you remember that, Laura, they would always say, he's listening to blah, blah, blah. And that always gets him motivated when he goes down through the half pike. Now, I don't know what blah, blah, blah was and I'd have to hear it and see what they're singing about. But if it was something positive and good, Hey, and if it motivates the guy, there's nothing wrong with that. But again, if it's something crazy and it's out of hand, that's what's important. The words of the song are what parents need to focus on. You might not like the beat or the volume, but those are not religious issues. They fall into a realm of opinion. So again, when you're picking your battles with your children, Make sure you pick the right ones and make sure you listen. Sometimes you may not know what they're saying. Go get the lyrics. Punch in the group, punch in the name of the song, whatever. Pull the lyrics up, read them. Say, oh, okay, I see what they're singing about now. All right, no problem. But again, I'm going to have to have a talk with Junior. Okay, it's important. You see, what we meditate upon is what we become. Psalms 1, 1 through 6 says this, How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. But here, listen to this, verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. You know, is it positive? Is it good songs? Maybe it has some guitars or some beat in that to it, but it could be all scripture if you listen to it. It can be uplifting. It can be something that God delights in and likes. And again, we need to be in those things that are going to be going into our ears that are going to be able to do that. 
And the person that delights and meditates on God's word, he'll be like a tree firmly planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. And in whatever he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but they're like chaff, which the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembling of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Remember the words of David, Psalms 119.11. Your word, I have treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. Well, how can we let our light shine with our calendars? God prohibits the church from establishing holy days. Galatians 4, 9 through 11 says, but now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn back again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. See, the Galatians were now Christians. They don't have to do all those things that the law of Moses told them to do, all those days and months and observances and so forth. He doesn't prohibit you from, God doesn't prohibit you from reading a calendar or observing traditions and customs that are a part of our custom. You know, think about this. There are some preachers out there in our brotherhood. They, they leave you with the impression that if you smile during the month of December, you've somehow sinned. And heaven help you if you say Merry Christmas. You can't do that. <laughs> but you know what? Christmas is a civil holiday. It's not a religious holiday. What do we try to make it? Well, what's that? Yeah, we try to make it a religious holiday. We, we emphasize Jesus' birth. Was Jesus born on December 25th? Nah, when you do the math, it's probably like September, maybe early October. Okay, some may even argue for August. So if we're going to celebrate Jesus' birthday and, and everything, it should be at that time. Okay, but we do that. Why? Because we want to pull emphasis off Santa Claus, off of elves and deer that have red shining noses. I wish the deer had red shining noses. Then I'd be able to get them a lot quicker into my freezer. <laughs> you see, but there's all these crazy things. I don't even know where all these things came from. But we don't want people looking at that. We want them to look at Jesus and that God became... Uh, a man, and came here to die for us. But it's kind of funny that even the atheists, they get the day off from work with pay on Christmas. And I don't know of anyone who cannot go through December without observing some part of Christmas, if they mean to or not, because of the meals, the gifts, the travel, seeing the lights, or going to the store and the, the lady at the register saying, Happy Holidays or Merry Christmas or whatever they tell you. 
You see, individual Christians have the liberty to observe special days to the Lord, but they can't bind them on others, according to Romans 14, 4 through 8. It says, Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person regards one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So we need to let the light shine. And again, don't bind some of these things on people. Uh, It's not wise. What we do, we ought to do it to the Lord, giving him the honor, the glory, the praise. We should let our light shine also in our worship. God commands order in our assemblies. 1 Corinthians 14.40 says, But all things must be done properly and in an orderly manner. He doesn't require the worship service to look or sound like a funeral service. The Israelites were commanded to serve God with joy and gladness of heart. Many scriptures tell us that. Deuteronomy 28, 45 through 48, 1 Kings 8, 66, Ezra 6, 22. We're also told to delight in the law of the Lord. I just read that for you in Psalms 1, verse 1 and 2. Psalms 27, 6 says, And I will offer in his tent, in the tent of meeting, in the, the tabernacle, which was a tent, sacrifices with shouts of joy. I'll sing, yes, I'll sing praises to the Lord. Psalms 35, 9 says, And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall exalt in his salvation. Psalms 51, 12 says, Restore to me the joy of of your salvation and sustain in me a willing spirit. You see, we are re- to receive the word with joy and we ought to be coming in and worshiping God in joy in an orderly manner, shouting praises to him, singing to his name. And when we do that, we need to be able to say amen. 1 Corinthians fourteen sixteen and Nehemiah 8, 6. If we give an amen to something, we're giving our stamp of truth upon the assertion which is accompanied and making it binding as an oath. Study what amen, amen saying uh, amen means. If Christians and Christianity makes you miserable, then I don't know if you have Christianity. You may have some poor substitute. Christianity shouldn't make you miserable. It ought to make you happy with all of the hope and the praise and the 
great things that God has done for us and that he's promised to do for us in eternity. It ought to make us smile from ear to ear. It ought to get us excited. Yeah, I know I stand up here a lot of times and I teach negative things and I try to preach and teach and say, we should do this and we ought to do that. Why? So that we can keep on the straight and narrow way. Why? So that ultimately we can have all this joy that's possible in and through Jesus. We are the light of the world. Let's not hide our light. Let's go out there and make a difference with the light he's given us. In conclusion, God wants spiritual fruit, not a bunch of religious nuts. (laughs) I thought somebody'd like that. We're living in the midst of people who are in a state of spiritual darkness. Look at our world and all the things that they stand for and what's going on. And I know sometimes when we get out there and we let our light shine, it can be blinding. Just like the deer that comes and walks out on the road and stands right in front of you. And you're like, you dummy, get out of the way. It's blinded. It doesn't know what to do. It can't see. I know sometimes when we're living good lives and people are in darkness, it's blinding to them. So love them. Be patient with them. And we want to be able to do good things and to be able to teach them and spread the good news of the gospel with them. So again, they can become Christians and go to heaven. And remember, when we let our light shine, to do so in a manner that it's going to bring glory to God. Do we live so as to lead people in the world to ask us, why is your life so peaceful? Why do you have such balance in your life? See, if they ask that, then we can turn around and tell them of the wondrous, amazing news that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Christ came to give us life, to make us his children. Christians are to be the light of the world. Let us live and function and walk as those children of light. If you've never obeyed the gospel, the men are going to be coming forward. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation right now. And if you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, you're willing to confess him before men, as Acts 8.37 says, And then you're willing to repent of your sins and be immersed in a watery grave, as Acts 2, 38 says. And then after you become a Christian, live a faithful life until the end to receive the crown of life. As we stand and sing, won't you please come if you need to make that decision this evening.